Okay, hey, audience. Welcome to House of Sports on the call-in app. It is co-hosted tonight with one Amin El Hassan getting back to his NBA After Dark roots, if any of you are aware of that, which I'm sure many of you are. It was some great entertainment back in the day. Uh, I want to bring him on. I want to unmute him, if that's possible. I think he can unmute himself. I can only mute him. I can't unmute him. So we'll see about that. I can unmute my damn self. Okay. That's what I want. That's what I want out the gate. That's the energy I want right there. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a mean. We're, I mean, this is some new technology. I mean, I do fear that I'm going to be 1980s dad playing with the uh, camcorder for a while with, with this thing. I might get distracted. Uh, yeah, no, I, I fiddling around with it myself uh, has been quite the adventure here in just the last couple of minutes. <laughs> I like you reporting on it like a TV helicopter weatherman. Like, up, oh, you know, we're just the past few minutes right there using the app currently. And uh, I will I, I will at least present us a topic. I mean, I do want your thoughts on this. Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go say we're we got traffic backed up on the 405 also. Yeah, the 405 of my brain. Um, oh, we got Waz in here. Let's just bring Waz on too. Let's bring Waz on as well. Let's let's Anarchy. make it a party. Anarchy. Let's make him next caller. There we go. And we're going to have Ryan Glassbeagle on. Ryan Glassbeagle, the New York Post, is also going to be on. He's going to tell us about sports TV trends. Uh, and I, look, you know what? Referencing Ryan right now. This podcast to me is about this topic of me. We're all corrupt. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about. Ryan uh, aggregated a podcast that I did with Michelle Beadle. I think that worked out fortuitously. Uh, And I know Ryan. I I might even say I'm friends with Ryan. You know, it's a tangled web in this industry. A mean though. I wrote an article today on Adrian Wojnarowski arguing that we should be honest about our conflicts of interest. That at ESPN NBA, they do not tend to be honest about their conflicts of interest. Have I invented a new form of morality, I mean, this idea that you can just, as long as you admit it, it's kosher and okay? Or are these weasel words by me? And this is just allowing me to be as corrupt as I want to be. I, I love the idea that you think you invented this as if like we <laughs> just haven't yesterday. had like, a history of usually usually in journalism you get things like if um abc is reporting about you know uh this hot new show on disney plus called the mandalorian and i have something in there is like full disclosure abc and disney plus are both owned by the same parent company Disney. like that's normal that's how we normally have been doing it and um I believe, I guess, that that hasn't been as much a concern in the world of sports journalism because a decade ago, Mm. maybe even 15, 20 years ago, Ethan, were sports journalists being repped by agencies, let alone the big agencies that represent the very athletes and coaches and general managers that they cover. I don't think that was even happening. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being ignorant. But I, I kind of feel like this is more of a development. Uh, you know, I, I think about like a guy like Ray Rado. Was like Ray Rado, like <laughs> rep by WMG, like. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was rep by David Falk right. uh, back in the 1990s. You know, so it, it, that this is a new phenomenon in some regard. And then there's the other level of it where maybe it's not something clean, like we're rep by the same agency. And maybe it is just, you know, friendships. You know, you, your, your article that you wrote today about the relationship between Adrian Wojnarowski and Neil O'Shea, like what's, what's Adrian supposed to say? Is he supposed to say, hey, by the way, this is my buddy. Mm. Like that, that's a kind of odd disclosure <laughs> because there's not an yeah. actual business relationship there or actual, uh, you know, a, a through line like, oh, this was the best man at my wedding, by the way. You know, they're just people who are aligned through working in this industry, albeit in different regards. Yeah, I think you have to stand down. It, it is a moral gray area when you're a close friend of the person. If you are reporting on them like that, you should stand. But there are well, no rules. It's that quote I love. No, I, that I mean, there are. Let me, let me, yeah. Let, let me just say, like, he doesn't have to stand down, but he can't, like, willfully misrepresent. And I think that's the issue mm. there. It's like, it's not like he has to say, that's my best friend. But to not even mention that O'Shea was fired. The reason why he was fired, which wasn't a run of the mill, yeah, you know, kind of it's it's the NBA, we're all kind of expendable, but you know, a rather, you know, a, a rather salacious reason for him getting fired. And the layer on top of it, the purpose of his article, which is the most bizarre, is to take shots at probably one of the most Teflon figures in an industry where everybody takes shots. In, in Damian Lillard. And those are the things, ironically enough, even though that Adrian doesn't have the clear business, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, what's a, a compromise uh, situation in there. It's just by his actions, by how he, ironically enough, by how he wrote the article, it's, he, dis, he discloses his massive bias towards the subject. That's a good way to put it. And I'll do some expository. I assume most of the people listening live at least know what we're discussing. Uh, but to just give some expository for those who do not, uh, the Portland Trailblazers uh, had an ugly divorce between uh, the general manager, the guy who does the trades, and Damian Lillard, the superstar. And it all came to a head when the Blazers opened up a misconduct investigation into the general manager, Neil O'Shea. And it led to Olshay getting fired. Now, Adrian Wojnarowski, the lead newsbreaker for ESPN, NBA, very close friend of Neil Olshay, had a retrospective on what happened in the Blazers' future. And he was casting doubt. I got to say, I almost soft-pedaled it in the article. I thought one aspect of it was ridiculous. When Wojnarowski was saying that a prospective GM, effectively, would be worried to take over the situation because Lillard wanted an extension uh, to play in. It's bizarro land. It's it's exact opposite. I would thought, you know, like the funny thing was, ironically, I'm trying to help this guy write his, his hit piece for him. A smarter play would have been to say, hey, incoming GMs are worried that Lillard's not going to stay and they've got to like come in and inherit a situation where they've got to, they've got to instantly fire sale. Instead, he goes for the most ridiculous angle that, like, hey, I don't know if I want this job with 
a face of the league who, you know, is a, a pillar of the community and a great leader and well-loved and one of the most clutch, clutch players of modern times. Like, I don't know if I want that job. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous in the context of general managers. And maybe this is something where fans will read an authoritative voice and they'll think it makes sense. Superficially, it might make sense. But yeah, you know, a general manager who wants to get hired might not want that because the star could get long in the tooth and the star wants an extension that goes to 2027. That's not how it works with GMs. Coaches, maybe. You want a hotshot coach? The coach might want a perfect situation. He might have leverage. Coaches tend to have a little bit more truck, a little bit more sway than GMs do, much to the chagrin of GMs. I posted a picture a Wikipedia picture in the article of the league GMs. And it's not perfect because the Wikipedia doesn't differentiate between the head honcho of basketball ops and who has the official title of GM. But the main point was this, it's that it, all, almost all of these guys at the point they were hired would have taken any job just to be a GM. Typically, you know what you think Mike Zarin or whatever I'm thinking, like whatever assistant GM you're better at this. I mean, you want to throw out there type, would turn down the Blazers job if it came with a seven-figure salary? I mean, come on. That, that's just not reality. I mean, the, the guys who are turning that job down are not turning it down because they don't want to build around Damian Lillard, which is essentially what, is what he's saying. Is that Damian Lillard is not a cornerstone that the, the top-flight general manager uh, you know, uh, types that are interested in this position – they don't want to build around Damian Lillard. No, 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 no. Give, give my chance into the lottery, trying and failing with 19-year-olds <laughs> over and over again until I finally find one who might just be, if he's really lucky, if everything lines up, if everything, the sun, the stars, the moons, they all align, might be almost as good as Damian Lillard. It's the old family guy bit. It's like a boat's a boat, but, but the mission could be anything. It could be a boat. <laughs> Oh, man. Let's bring Waz up. Let's bring Waz up. I'm sure Waz, Waz has some takes. He operates with unusual candor. Uh, sometimes too much candor, frankly. You know? In his candor. In his candor. Did I do this improperly when I pressed the Waz button? Did I boot him somehow? I think, I think yeah, I think you got rid of him. Good job. Oh, oh no. There he, is. There, he is. there he is. He's back. How do we do this? Invite to speak. Waz oh, speaks. This is great. Oh, remember that? We're doing all the old shows now. <laughs> all the old references. Was, was. Can you unmute Yo. yourself? There yeah, you so go. What's going there on, you fellas? are. There's our rising star, our rising podcast star. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> the star is risen. <laughs> it's not rising anymore. It's risen already. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Waz, do you have any takes on the Damian Lillard, Neil O'Shea, Portland Trailblazers? Oh, my God. It's a nightmare until 2027 Imbroglio. Um, It's everything that's wrong with the way we do the NBA these days, right? Uh, three, two, three-day NBA news cycle dedicated to Woj's homeboy talking shit about one of the most exemplary superstars in the NBA and the shit they're talking is that he wants to stay long-term in Portland and he wants to be paid for it. When all we ever hear about is how these guys are so transient, like you can never identify who's where Dame Lillard wants to make himself a permanent fixture in Portland. And that's why 
Real GMs <laughs> won't want to do this because, you know, because the, the idea being, Ethan, that it's not that Olshay sucks, which is why it failed. This is a tough thing to make happen, working with Dame Lillard. That's the message because it can't be the other thing, which is you stunk up the joint, you shat the bed, you were horrible, you sucked, like all the things that are actually true about Olshay because Woj is his buddy. He, he has to try to find a way to make it something that it's not. Yeah, I don't know if I go that far. I think dynamics are complicated behind the scenes, and I'm corrupted. I'm compromised because I like Warren McGarry, <laughs> who is the agent of one Neil O'Shea. So I just try to be Switzerland uh, <laughs> occasionally, you know, try to maintain some networks, some friendships. But it just seems like it's harder than ever to maintain these networks. I don't know what's going on. It's what it means that it's the agencies repping you. You know, I know media people who are getting recruited by these agencies and they ask, Hey, could I criticize such and such player? And the response to them is, well, why would you need to? <laughs> yes. but, 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 but I think, I think that, that brings up a, a great point there. Ethan, is that this was so unnecessary. Like if you if you wanted to write the 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 ode to Neil O'Shea about you know what he actually did a pretty good job, you could write that. But but he he yep. write oh, that. Yeah. he wrote the anti Damian Lillard hit piece, which by the way, again you pointed out in your article, this used to be a staple of what he used to do. He kind of has gone away from this, yep, uh, in the last decade or so. But if you go back and ladies and gentlemen. That stuff is still up there on Al Gore's internet. You want to look at the stuff that he wrote about Rich Paul, about Mav Carter, about <laughs> LeBron James, basically because throwing LeBron throwing his life away for his little hoodlum friends. I'm paraphrasing, right? Like that was that was the <laughs> insinuation. And you know, I talked about this when the Rachel Nichols thing happened. When I talked about it on Metal Arc, and I said, "Guys, you, you guys, are t- you want to talk about bad teammates? This is a guy." who no players talk to. And this is a great example of that. Like, the reason why Damian Lillard is catching ire, it's not just because Neil's not there anymore. It's also because he represents a, a player, and Ethan, you pointed this out in your article, who Woj doesn't have access to. Represented by an agent who doesn't play Woj's games, and I don't give a damn what he writes. And that, for most people, would say, ah, I can't get them all. I'll just move on. I'll, you know, I'll, but right. not for this particular <laughs> character. And that's what I've been trying to tell people. But, you know, uh, people don't want to listen. It's like, look, this guy is not a normal person who's just kind of like, well, I have 98% of the market or whatever it is. He's just weird, vindictive, foolish man who believes that anything that does not absolutely kowtow before him represents something that needs to be destroyed and in this case, he picked a target that might be too big for him. I mean, I don't want to pivot too much off that, but I'm wondering, should Aaron Goodwin, Dame's agent, should have he should he have just made nice with Woj? I mean, he's an old school nah. for what? For what? <laughs> for what? For who? For what? I'll give you some background. I know a GM who doesn't like Woj very much, but feeds him everything, right? And it's hey, ran mm-hmm. a cost benefit analysis. You know, this is the this is the path of least resistance. This is the smartest thing I can do. 
in my life for my team. What are you going to do? Is that what an agent should do? I mean, I'm just putting it, it out there. Ethan, but you, you see, sometimes, though, you got to I, I, I'm guessing this agent isn't a self-made black man like Aaron Goodwin. <laughs> this, this GM? I'm just saying that shit matters. This GM, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that shit matters. You know what I mean? Like if you're Aaron Goodwin and you did what you did to get where you're at and you've signed. You came up in the 90s. Right. And you've signed dudes to the most some of the best deals in the history of the sport. And like some little dork in Connecticut is going to tell you what to do. That just doesn't that doesn't cut mustard. You know what I mean? Like. No, go ahead. I mean, that's basically like to me. I I could understand why Aaron Goodwin would be like, "Nah, it it ain't going down like that." I'm from the Bay, fam. (laughs) We don't move like this. You you, you know what's what's funny about the situation? I I talked about this on the radio today with Zach Harper. I said the irony is he's done this particular thing before, albeit with a lot more deft touch and subtlety. And do you guys know when he did it? What? Four years ago, when Kawhi Leonard didn't want to be a San Antonio Spur anymore. Mm. That's Now, it's the same MO. It's like, I'm going to write from an exclusive perspective of the San Antonio Spurs organization without ever quoting them, right, directly, RC or Pop. But I'm going to speak and cover this friction exclusively from the perspective of the team demonizing the player. In that case, though, the player, obviously, quiet, not much of a talker. And so I remember being on the jump, and we were talking about, uh, you know, this situation, and Rachel said something along the lines of, you know, there's been a lot of said on both sides. I said, no, 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 Rachel, there hasn't. Kawhi and his camp haven't said a word. Everything has been in-house the way we expect it and respect it. This guy's been a respected dude, has done everything the right way, not just in this situation, but throughout his career. Meanwhile, the team that was team secrecy, the evil empire, all of a sudden I'm getting leaks left and right. And that's not me, that's not me saying that the reporting isn't correct. It's just saying, <laughs> pointing out, all of a sudden there is an, a distinct... Uh, narrative bent that's out in all of the reporting and none of it represents the other side. And so, you know, everyone's boy wonder got upset and actually tried to get me reprimanded for it. And I had to, they go, they literally said, oh, he's saying you're killing his reporting. I said, I didn't, because you can watch the clip. And so we watched the clip and said, why, why is he upset? I said, well, if I had someone that was feeding me information under the auspices that, hey, I'm going to look good. So here's this information so you can make me look good. And then here comes somebody else on, on the team who comes, or not the team, on the, on the network who comes by and basically doesn't make us look good, makes us look bad. I guess I would feel bad or upset as a team, but again, that's not my concern because I don't work for the Spurs and neither does he. That was, that was what I said back then. And so the, what's happening now is back then, it was plausible to an, uh, uh, enough of a level. And plus the people he was defending, RC and Pop, are pillars of this game. So you can say some, get away right. with some stuff <laughs> because RC and Pop are, everyone loves them. And also Kawhi is an easy target. At least he was at the time because he doesn't talk. 
This time, though, it's like he said, yeah. let me get more perverted with this. Let me go on this side of the spectrum and not someone who's respected <laughs> and Neil O'Shea, who got fired for, for beyond being incompetent in his job as being a, basically an, uh, a workplace awful person, right? And then on the other side of the spectrum, I'm going to take, again, I submit to you, the most Teflon player in the NBA, more than LeBron, more than Kevin Durant, more than Steph Curry. There's not a single player in the league who is as beloved as Damian Lillard, and like universally beloved, as non-polarizing as Damian Lillard. And so it's it's kind of like, this is Icarus, right? It's like, I can shoot on anybody and defend anybody. All my people are golden. I'm like, no, they're not, buddy. <laughs> you know, and the, and the crazy thing too, hmm. Ethan, is that <laughs> this kind of, it, it reminds me of the Haralabob situation where, you know, Donnie Walsh is about to be fired, you know, so, like, he goes on a leaking spree and whatever, and, you know, shouts to Tim Cato, used to work with him, he's cool or whatever, and Cato's doing his job, where he's like, yo, this is going to be a really popular story, um, Haralabob is somebody people want to hear about, and he puts out this story, and it becomes this thing for however many days, again, for a dude who's losing his job, right, like, Neil O'Shea, like, the proof is in the pudding, you're gone. Like the team's the team hasn't lived up to expectations. You said they were going to be awesome. They haven't been awesome. And you know, you're go- this is like a non-story. This isn't surprising. This shouldn't shock anybody. He's been there forever. Normally that's what teams do. They move on. But it's like, you know, it kind of reminds me of CNN like they're going to cover Casey Anthony, right? <laughs> like they're going to give the people what they want. This <laughs> is Oh, I thought I thought you were going a different direction. I thought you were going to talk Cuomo when it comes to having well, a loyalty. But, well, that's probably wow. some of it too, Top though. But that's that's some of it too. I just think this is what the people want, and you could say it's irresponsible. You could say it's whatever, but like people eat this shit up, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing that's so funny about this. It's I, I wrote it in the article. It's almost the exception that proves the rule. We actually do want a lot of these kinds of articles, as in critical, criticizing a superstar, saying they're not living up to whatever they were supposed to do or they're causing problems behind the scenes. We don't really get it because at ESPN NBA, and I have to make exceptions, I have to make carve-outs. There are people who have carved out a voice, and I don't want to offend them or, or whatnot, but let's face it, it's been duller over there. It's gotten dull. You know, it's, it's been good for you, Waz, and your people over there at the ringer. But they don't want to step on toes. They don't want to offend agencies. They don't want to offend players. And so it's just very dry, except for, except for when it's time to, you know, defend a, a certain source, I suppose. You know, it, it's crazy because when you think about, like I said, Daniel Little being the most Teflon, and Zach and I talk about this a lot, like the idea, like, think about this. This guy has been to the playoffs eight times, been to the conference finals once, been in the second round twice and been out of the first and been knocked down the first round five times, right? And uh, any other superstar who had that track record, we'd be on his ass all day about how can't win the big one. Is he good enough? Oh, like, oh, like think about all the guys that we talked about this with Carmelo and Chris Paul and LeBron and, and uh, Durant. And, and like, we, we did this to almost everybody questioning how good they were. And Damian Lillard has never been questioned about how good he was. We basically just all accepted in a weird universal way that anything that's gone wrong in Portland ain't his fault. Like that's, if you want to write the, the Damian Lillard, like I'm taking mm. him a cast, task, task, mm. uh, critical piece, you start there. 
Isn't this thing about like, oh, I don't know if I want to build around him because he wants money. Oh, 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 oh the, the star player wants to get paid max money. Well, well how can any team build around that? <laughs> I, I do think that was sneaky. There was something sneaky there because the money's going up for max money. And then there's a sticker shock when you say it's going to cost X amount in 2027, right? But that's just max money according to the way the contracts work. It's not anything special. It sounds – It's not an outlier. It sounds crazy, but it will be at that crazy number because the cap's at that crazy number. We don't actually know if it will be because there's a lot going on. You know, There's stuff on House of Strauss such as this crazy attendance drought, for instance – keep saying crazy but this attendance drought and i there is something going on with the nba in general i don't understand how billions in revenue can be flushed down the toilet and it doesn't impact anybody's pocketbook but that's a good segue i think we need an interlude a sports industry interlude with ryan glassfeagle of the new york post to stop by give the sports industry takes i i primarily uh i primarily want to ask about uh how do I do this? Take next caller. I'm never going to understand this uh, <laughs> as intuitive as the technology to as intuitive as the uh, technology is, but we do have Ryan. I do like off the bat, Ryan. And this, again, this is the tangled web we live in in sports because I know that Amin has an affiliation with metal arc that got one of the fantasy, uh, fantasy companies, a huge deal. And the DraftKings. DraftKings. It's not a huge deal anymore. That's of today. Oh. <laughs> I was about to say it. I mean, let me. I'm not me. But that segues to. He's got like three people on his payroll. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to ask Ryan about. Pat McAfee, for those who do not know, a former NFL punter, regular Joe kind of persona, but smart enough to bet on himself and create a, a YouTube show that's a huge hit. He's had Aaron Rodgers on weekly during the NFL season. Maybe you saw something about that in the news. Uh, (laughs) But that's been going on for a while. And signed a massive deal. Massive deal with, I mix up FanDuel and DraftKings. I I don't know which. Flip a coin. FanDuel. FanDuel. There you go. With FanDuel. Ryan, I, I want your take on this. Tell the people how much money and what the hell is going on and how can it be for so much money? So for for um it was actually Shams who broke the story of what he's getting paid um but he is he signed a 3-year deal for 30 million dollars per year with a fourth year option. It's unclear if the option is FanDuel's or McAfee's but his show is getting million over the next three years. The previous deal that you spoke about was Lebitard's show was um, $50 total over three years. So this deal with McAfee is about twice as much per year as what the Lebitard show got from DraftKings. What what the hell is going on? How much money do these fantasy sites have? Why... I mean, is this, can we get call in an extra sponsor? You know, can, can we start raining some money? I mean, I'll take a, I'll take a $5 million deal. You know, I'll take something less. So this is uh, rather remarkable, right? So, I mean, if you watch sports or really anything on TV or radio or internet, you're inundated with gambling ads. And this is even true for you out in California, where it might still be several years, if ever, 
until sports gambling is even legalized. But it's a massive gold rush. There's about, I mean, there's three or four really big um, players, FanDuel and DraftKings, which we've been talking about, are two of those. And um, there's probably like about a dozen to 15 players in aggregate across the country. And so it it's where we've been inundated with these ads, but the four biggest states in the electoral college, which are Florida, New York, Texas, and California still don't have gambling activated yet. New York and Florida have legalized it, but it hasn't been activated yet. And so um, with McAfee, so I, I, for people who don't know, I worked at OutKick before I worked at the New York Post. And I was told when I was there that the two biggest referrers for FanDuel were Clay Travis and Pat McAfee. And so mm-hmm. it's extremely valuable if you're one of these personalities that has a strong individual following that is there. They're there to watch you. They're not there because you're on ESPN. They're ESPN viewers. People who watch or listen to Clay and McAfee and Lebetard are there for them. And so McAfee had a big advantage that Indiana, where he has a big base of people, was one of the first states to um, legalize it. I mean, New Jersey was first, but Indiana was in the top three or four there. And so he Mm. was a bell cow for FanDuel and his deal came up and everybody knows he was a bell cow for FanDuel. So they find themselves in a position of having to pay a lot to keep him. But this, um, the gambling, it's weird because it's like a low margin business. Like this guy, David Purdom, who covers gambling for ESPN really well, he tweets the stats of like how much each, um, type of gambling makes in Nevada every month and like slot machines make 10 times as much money as sports betting does. So my running theory on all of this gambling stuff is that a lot of it is a Trojan horse to get the app on people's phones and then hope that like mobile slot machines become legal as well, which they are in many States already and then that's where the real money comes in. Yeah, this reminds me of a lead I wanted to use in a future article. And I actually might even use this particular call-in show in the future just to workshop articles. And I guess if somebody steals from me, somebody steals from me, whatever. <laughs> uh, but I, I was reminded, I was getting told about uh, the people who own the uh, Golden Knights in Vegas were meeting with a, a a source of mine, right? And then they were talking about revenue. Yeah. And that's MGM, the people who own the Golden Knights in Vegas, the hockey team. And, you know, my source was saying, hey, it is kind of amazing. You 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 had 40 million in revenue. Yeah, that's that's great, you know? And I don't know if we're talking at the gate or total or what, right? I'm just I'm just throwing a number. It might not even be true. Yeah. Uh, 40 million. I think it was 40 million. And they kind of go, yeah, yeah. And my source goes, we don't seem that happy about it. <laughs> and one of the guys points to a roulette table and says, that table did it in a year or two, you know, in that year too, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, you that's, know, even that, that's all thing about, yeah. about, uh, uh, Dan Gilbert, 
pushing uh, casino gambling mm. through in Ohio, right? Like bringing back LeBron, a huge part of that was so that he could get enough goodwill so that they would like back him in passing this bill that allowed him to build a casino right across the street from whatever the name of that arena is now, the Rocket Mortgage Arena or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, look, man, yeah. like, yeah, it's nice that people bought like a hot dog and a, and a hat, but I'm trying to squeeze them out of every last dollar. And if you're the Golden Knights, if you're Dan Gilbert, if you're one of these places that can find a new revenue stream of things that weren't happening when people were coming and selling out the games and buying hot dogs and hats, you're going to do that. That's why uh, I know here in Phoenix, they've got a FanDuel sportsbook in the arena. That was one of the things in the, when this arena opened uh, or when the renovations were done. It's like, hey, we have a sportsbook right in the arena. And what FanDuel has done, and, and I believe DraftKings and Caesars and everyone's doing this, is as these states are not even fully ratifying the gambling yet, they're already going to these organizations and teaching them about gambling and how to run an operation out of your building and how to monetize it. And it, it's just, it, it, it's, I mean, this is the. Yeah. They're trying to get people just into the casinos, whether they be digital or physical casinos, and they're using the entertainment product that people like to get them there. Um, I do wonder, we'll have to see if the scale of this eventually becomes a problem. If, I mean, I like gambling on, on sports. I enjoy it. I don't know if everybody needs to be doing it, but we'll, you know, we'll set that aside for later. I want to tell anybody on this call that you can join the queue. I think we see Jade, one Jade Hoy in the queue, uh, to do questions and, um, we can answer those questions. So feel free, anybody listening to queue up. Uh, but I want to ask Ryan, uh, one more question, which sport of the major sports is in the worst shape right now? Because it's been a trying couple of years, baseball locked out, uh, NBA getting hit by Omicron or however we pronounce it. Uh, who, who's in, who, who's in the worst shape right now that you see? Well, it's certainly not the NFL because they just signed like an insane deal like the totals over like a hundred billion dollars um for their next tv deal and they're more powerful than ever like on thanksgiving the cowboys raiders game was like the most watched regular season game since 1993 and you can think about like how much fewer entertainment options there were back then granted we're a bigger country but for them to be in like a viewership situation like that where that game was literally watched more than any NBA game in American history is wild. And I mean, it's going to come the NHL. If you, if you count them, I mean, they just got an extra bidder on their TV deal with ESPN. So they're, I don't think it's them at least comparatively, but it's going to be between baseball and the NBA. And I don't think we know the answer yet. Because there's, like, an impression that the NBA, like, left MLB in the dust already. And I actually don't think that that, like, impression is true. Because where the NBA playoffs and NBA finals generally outrate the World Series and MLB playoffs, except for in outlier situations like the Cubs winning for the first time in over 100 years... The um, the regional ratings, which if you add them all up in baseball, 
are much bigger than the NBA. And I don't think most people reflexively realize that. Um, but there's also twice as many games. But we don't know what's going to happen with this lockout. You'd have to hope as a baseball fan that the players and owners get out of their own way and come to some resolution. Maybe not like a normal opening day, but at least not pushing it past like May 1st. Um, NBA seems to be in better shape this season Mm. with the TV. They made like a tweak where the TNT games went from Thursday to Tuesday night, which is like a big deal because it means they're not competing with Thursday night football anymore. Like as we speak right now, the Steelers are in a one score game against the Vikings with less than a minute left. So if like wizards versus Celtics was competing with that, it would be dwarfed. And they, they, so they switched from Thursdays to Tuesdays, and then your Golden State Warriors um, going on this run again. Um, you've written about this, but I think Steph has passed LeBron as a draw in the NBA. And I don't know if everybody Easily. necessarily realizes yeah. that yet either, but um, Steph and the Warriors are the biggest draw, and they're going to be getting Clay Thompson back. And so you can chart out a path where the NBA playoffs look really robust in viewership, especially relating to the last two years. And so it, it's like really MLB and NBA are in a neck and neck race to be the second biggest sport behind football. If you can, if you count NFL and college as one sport, and that's still in my mind to be determined. Yeah, it's it really is one tier, and you could accuse me of some form of homerism, but it's just true. The Warriors are the top draw. They're also the best story because they went away and they've come back. They've been resurrected. Um, and so, how how is the audience there? Is it starting to pick back up? Because I remember at the beginning of the year, it was kind of mirroring the Giants season. Like the Giants outperformed expectations pretty significantly, but the people weren't there based on. Um, a lot of people from the Bay Area just like relocated and worked remotely during the pandemic. But how are the Warriors crowds now? Yeah, it's a complicated uh, situation because I think relative to the other teams, great, right? Um, Warriors tickets go for more. The stadium is more full. Uh, We are seeing ridiculous scenes when we flip around League Pass for some of these lower tier or smaller market teams. It's very empty in the lower bowl. I'm just hearing from friends uh, prices that are uh, mind-boggling. Just courtside tickets that you can get for less than a thousand bucks, uh, far less than a thousand bucks, um, hundreds of dollars to sit courtside at some of these games. The Warriors are not that. So they're doing a lot better. Now it's not above expectations. Um, maybe it's picked back up a little bit, but to what you were saying about work from home, they, I mean, they put themselves in a situation that is suboptimal and they did it through their own gumption and savvy. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like, I, I would analogize, Amin made the Icarus analogy earlier. It's almost like Icarus of the sky fell on him or of the sun fell on him, uh, because they did all this to get a, 
arena built in San Francisco. They moved heaven and earth for it. Uh, it was the smartest play. They were just going to print money. It, it, it could not miss. You could not lose. And what happened? A completely unforeseeable historic pandemic that then triggered a work from home revolution in this in this not only that in this yeah not only that but also the absolute collapse of the team on the on-court product due to injury yeah 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 i mean that happened as well although you could blame them for that in their decision making you know we can't blame coronavirus for that i don't think but you know, they're in a situation now where how are people going to get to the game if nobody's working in downtown San Francisco? And what I'm hearing, what you're seeing is that this is not a temporary shift. Uh, you see CEOs saying they're not coming back to the office. It's not happening. It's a majority of our workforce. And this is just how it is now. They're not coming back. So if you're the Warriors, you've built an arena in an area of San Francisco that uh, doesn't even really have great uh, BART access. It's not incredibly close, uh, but there is really no parking. They don't have parking garages. The Giants have about 3,500 spots. That's not enough to cover everything, but they got them. The Warriors really don't. So basically, they need Steph Curry to never get old. That's what needs to happen. (laughs) Steph Curry needs to never get old. Um, or it's going to be tough. But with that, let's take some calls. I, I said, Jade. Well, yeah. let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, though. Like, if you look at the prohibitive pricing that they put up in Chase, whether through PSLs or just the, the straight call face ticket value, right? Face value of the ticket. Mm-hmm. You could argue that the work from home crowd wasn't their audience anyway. Hmm. It was. I mean, it, it was never going to be those people. It was always going to be people who were independently wealthy, or you know, and lived in the greater Silicon Valley area. And from that regard, you know, I, I know the attendance numbers aren't rock solid or whatever, but 100% attendance at home, and then on the road, 97% attendance. It's, it's a, I believe that's number one in the league as far as like the biggest road draw is the Warriors. I, I mean, the, the thing that people bemoan about the Warriors is that, oh, the vibe and the spirit of Oracle is gone. But I don't think there's any doubt that they're making so much more money. And if anything, getting those PSLs, which are th- three to five year deals, helped them coast through the pandemic because they already mm. had the money in pocket. Yeah. Well, they also just got extended credit lines like other teams would not, you know, at very low interest and however much you want, because it's assumed that you're the big you're the big market Golden State Warriors. Uh, We're going to give you more money to spend. And this is maybe why the ultra rich never go broke. Uh, You (laughs) you just keep getting more and more credit Um, and then you can invest it and then you can just invest more money and you can make it back. If you read books about the 1920s though, sometimes the (laughs) bill comes due. No, no, gravity doesn't exist. Uh, the stock market will do great forever. We've totally solved it. Um, nothing to worry about. And with that, let's start taking some calls. Let's start doing the thing where I get nervous after pressing the button that the person knows to unmute themselves. Uh, invite to speak cupcakes, cupcakes. You are invited to speak. Cupcakes. (laughs) Cupcakes. <laughs> Cupcakes. Ethan, I mean, how's it going, fellas? Hey. 
Uh, Ethan, when uh, when David Stern passed away uh, almost two years ago now, which is hard to believe, you you wrote and you spoke about his Jewishness, um, how kind of just you know beneath the surface it was a, a core element of who he was and how it felt familiar to you because of your upbringing. Um, and I'm just curious, like you know, as someone who spent what 17 years of my life in in Catholic school, uh, Catholic family, a lot of Catholic friends. I can sort of feel that from from certain figures in the NBA, even though, um, you know, we might not talk about our faith the way other groups uh, might. Mm. And last month, as, as the situation in Portland was kind of starting to unravel, The Athletic had a quote from uh, from Neil O'Shea where he kind of used his Irish Catholicness as a way to sort of explain away his his volatile temper or whatever, which... Um, in my experience, it's just kind of a bullshit thing we do uh, to avoid going to therapy or whatever. But, you know, his, his, his boy, you know, Woj kind of reminds me like, mm-hmm. you know, there's some of my friends' dads with like his simmering kind of intensity. And um, I know there are those referees in, in Philadelphia. It seems like, you know, for years and years, they, uh, there was like a, you know, pipeline of, of uh, Philadelphia referees that seemed like they were all. Oh yeah, that that, that uh, very shady. Right, right, <laughs> very right. Yeah, it seemed like they're all smacked around by the same nuns or whatever. So I'm just curious, like, um, <laughs> you know, about that world. Is there some sort of uh, network? Is there a centralized pope figure? Um... <laughs> I just wish I wish Waz was on. Waz would love to uh, break down some white ethnic uh, stereotyping. <laughs> From the perspective of a New Yorker, I feel like it would be right in his wheelhouse. I think one thing that you're you, you're catching on to a little bit is that aspects of the NBA superstructure are out of the Northeast. Um, and so they have those Northeastern communities represented. Uh, it's, it's a tricky thing to talk about. But yeah, you've got the, the Philly refs and you've got a more, I guess I can say it, a more Jewish structure in the league office. Uh, <laughs> and so that's you know that's represented <laughs> and then i would add breaking it down further and man i wish was was there for whatever reason there are a lot of irish american nba writers i don't know why it might have something to do with you know boston as an nba writer factory so i have no <laughs> overarching theory on how any of these things are but I noticed them and uh, they exist and uh, there you go amin would you care to elaborate uh no. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys covered it. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, cupcakes. Thank you so much. Sounds like I'm insulting him when I say that. Uh let's go with All right, Toots. Let's go with Toots next. <laughs> okay, let's Sweet go cheeks. with Sweet cheeks come to the stage. Andrew, 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 Andrew. You are invited to speak. You must unmute yourself. Hey. Hey, just FYI, there should be a button that says take next caller or something along those lines. That's it. Yeah, but you're you're neglecting to understand that I'm a functional idiot, but I appreciate you trying to help me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just FYI, that's that that's the, the functionality that you want to use. But um, so I'm a I'm a big uh, Houston Rockets fan. And today is uh, is always a, a day of celebration. It's it's the anniversary of uh, Tracy McGrady scoring 
uh, seventeen or thir- yeah. thirteen points in like fifty seconds against. I remember first, where I was, uh, which I, uh, I I always enjoyed. But um, I have a question: Do you guys think that the Rockets are more the fifteen losses in a row team or the seven wins in a row team? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm putting this to you because I don't watch enough basketball these days. I I would say. Neither and both. How about that for an answer? Oh. Here's the here's deal. So I went, I went to Houston uh, when they were in training camp, and I talked to players on the team, and I talked to Rafael Stone, the general manager. I talked to Coach Silas, and, like, Coach Silas and, 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 and Rafael were both like, yeah, like, here's the deal. We, we have an incredibly young group, and we're, like, teaching them basketball. Like, there's a lot of bare basics, like, stripped down to the studs. They have four first-round picks, and they're all on the roster. It never happens, right? It almost never happens in this league. You usually stash or, or trade some of these guys. They brought four of them to the roster, and three of them play, right? Like, are getting minutes. Then you, you, you look at the other young players that they have, like, uh, uh, um, uh, what's my man, uh, Porter Jr. And, and, uh, and even a guy like Christian Wood, who isn't really young, but like also doesn't have a whole lot of uh, long resume of minutes behind him. And so there's a lot of this stuff where it's like they kind of knew this is going to take a while. Now, should it have taken 15 losses in a row? I don't think so. I mean, part of that is them being young, and part of that was just like, yeah, they got slapped around. But I think what's happened is those guys and their commitment to these players that I think we all recognize, you know, they drafted well. They got a nice crop of talent. What's happened is those guys are now they've got some minutes under their belt and they're figuring things out in chemistry and all those things. And so they're playing better. Is it seven wins in a row better? Like hottest team in the league better? Again, probably not in the same way that it wasn't 15 losses. You're the worst team in the league. But they are intertwined in the sense that they started young and inexperienced, and as they're getting experience, they're playing better. Cool. Thanks, uh, y'all. Uh, I've been enjoying the show, so thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew, and thanks for the advice. Let's see if we can actually put it in the practice and press the Make Next Caller button for Walt. Is this working? Yes. Walt. No, not yet. Not yet. Walt's not yet up on it. Not yet. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm an idiot or Andrew's oh. letting me. Assume. There we go. Oh, there What's it is. up, y'all? What's going on? Hey, Walt. Not What's much, up, man. Not much. I just wanted to uh, get y'all thoughts on the, the Lakers. I was watching them as I frequently do and just watching them just kind of slog through the season, show all the inconsistency. A lot of people talking about firing Frank Vogel, but I'm of the mindset of going back to the summertime when they. I guess Rob Pelinka was trading for Buddy Hill and LeBron made the call to trade for Russell Westbrook. But I just wanted to get y'all thoughts on that, man, as far as the fire Vogel and the LeBron intervening and making a decision to trade for Russell Westbrook. Feels rearranging deck chairs is the cool. uh, the term that comes to mind. But Amin, what's your thought? Uh, I was starting with fire and Vogel. I think inherently our league is a very lazy league, right? It's lazy in that, you know, when things go wrong, there's always a feeling that someone needs to lose their job. Wait, we're supposed to be one of the best? Oh, we're not. Someone needs to lose their job, and that someone is usually the head coach. Um, Is it the head coach's fault? doesn't matter. Something needs to happen. That happens a lot. That's not just a reactionary thing from fans and media people. 
the teams have showed us that they do this. That they're like, ah, I don't know what's going on. I can get rid of the coach. They do this a lot. And uh, there isn't really, I don't feel like, in many of these cases, a strong analysis of, like, what can we be doing better uh, in order to support uh, this person who's in charge of coaching the team? Now, as a result, that, like I said, you know, that bleeds over to how the game is covered, right? So two weeks ago, someone asked Steven Silas, do you feel pressure like you're on the hot seat? And I was like, oh, why would he be on a hot seat? Yeah, he, got, he inherited a team that like stayed together for a week before they they traded everybody away, all the good players away. And this year they went into it with a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds. Why would he be on the hot seat other than everything in this reporter's experience of the NBA is like, hey, team's losing. Somebody's got to be on the hot seat. Can't be just, you know, because of whatever. So, like, we're all kind of complicit in this thing where it's like, Lakers are we're supposed to be good. They're not good. Whose fault is it? Right. And it's got to be the coach's fault. So, ipso facto, Frank Bogle is on the hot seat. Having said that, the Lakers, when they won a championship two seasons ago, top five defense. Last year, with LeBron maybe missing long stretches of the season, number one defense. This year, bottom third in the league. Why is that? Because 12 out of 15 guys are new, new faces, and most of them are old faces. And I'm going to say old faces like I remember you from two years ago. I mean, like old faces like you old, right? So this team that had built under Frank Vogel an identity of defense first now ain't quite ain't as defense first because these guys are new and, and aren't used to playing with one another because these guys are older and can't defend because some of these guys have never defended, right? Well, come on, Anthony has never been a defensive player. Why would we expect that to change right now? So you got all of these things happening, plus you get Anthony Davis – I don't know what's wrong with him. Some, I mean, someone's going to have to sit him down and have a conversation at some point. But he's having a, a meltdown of kind of pretty big proportions that, you know, I, I, I wonder how long Laker fans are going to have um, patience for what, what, what's happening to him because this is something ridiculous. And then finally you got the Westbrook thing. It's like, oh, man, like, you make a swing with the fences because you think to yourself, a season ago, our two best players got hurt and missed a bunch of time. And, man, we could have really used a third star to carry us the same way that last year the Nets, when Durant was out and Kyrie was out, Harden was there, and he carried this thing. And he kept them at the top of the, the Eastern Conference standing. So I, I kind of get that was the thought process of why you go out to Westbrook. But you kind of have to have a plan on how he works when everybody's healthy. And I don't think the Lakers really had one of those. That's pretty damn good ad hoc analysis, if I do say so I'll myself. Let's let's call up Joe. Joe, what do you know? Hey, thanks for having me on. A uh, quick question. I was just wondering with, I'm a Nuggets fan, with uh, Nikola Jokic, if you ever feel like somebody could be a star from like a city in Denver or like Indiana the same way like Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers. I know they're like different sports, but do you think the NBA could ever make like, yeah, I know Jokic is also not a drama guy. He's pretty boring, but yeah. Well, it's it's not, it's not drama. I think it's more, I mean, Ethan talks about this all the time. It's like, yo, as, as a country, we still have a problem with like 
international players. You know, Giannis is just now starting to enjoy some level of kind of like popularity, like true popularity. But even that was like, he, it's like two MVPs in and people are still kind of like, oh, I don't know about this guy. So I think that that's part of it. You know, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, these are good Midwestern names, right? Like versus Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic. Like that's, that's a mouthful. For, <laughs> They're Italian so that. a mouthful for someone from Muncie or from, you know, Toledo and places like a that. A mouthful from Muncie. That's great. Yeah. 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 No, I, a tongue twister from Toledo. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing. Um, I've thought about it a lot. Uh, I have been talking to somebody who let's say has knowledge of those, uh, you know, the, the bleacher reports and whatnot, they, they tweet out all the highlights and these sites that put out the highlights and get a lot of engagement. Mm-hmm. And it's been noticed by Ben Thompson, who's a Buck super fan that it's never Giannis. And they just follow the algorithms and they just follow what American sports fans are yep. tweeting about and what they resonate to. And it's a funny thing because I feel almost that we've never been less patriotic as a country. And that's reflected in surveys. Um, people have never felt worse about the country than the last, I don't know, half decade or so probably kind of started post Iraq war. We can, you know, look into a lot of the circumstances of it. Uh, (laughs) The last one, (laughs) the last one. Um, But at the same time, even if people aren't patriotic, I think that there is a familiarity there. And I think there's this assumption that it's only white uh, Republican voters who want to see Americans, but whether it's articulated Mm -hmm. or not, I kind of think it's everybody. And I think it's, I think it's black people too. And there's a feeling of think of how they marketed LeBron James, you know, just a kid from Akron, right? The assumption was that that's something that really resonates with the audience. And so I I'm not proposing that they ban international players. I think it's great that the NBA, well, in, xenophobic Ethan <laughs> well when i'm dictator we'll see it's nothing's off the table but it's amazing that the nba has this wide reach that it does but it's almost like the monkey's paw it's almost like the uh, the faustian bargain and i laugh at it because the nba made such a big deal of being international as their way to beat the nfl and you get this gypsy curse of you know make my game international aha yes Here's your superstar from Slovenia, from Serbia, and from Greece. Um, so they've just gotten guys where they they don't have the natural connection with the American audience necessarily. Um, and also... The... <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I just... Let me, let me ask yeah. you something. Do you think if Tua Tungalat-Vailoa was the best quarterback in the league, would he have the same level of... Uh, enjoy the same level of, of success and popularity as an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, or a Peyton Manning. Well, that's a tricky one because there's something about quarterback names that they just need to be, they need to have a certain feel to it for the guy to be a true. Tua. Just Tua. Like if his, if his first name was something longer than Tua, like it would have been, ooh, I don't know. I mean, the the greatest of all time is Joe Montana. I mean, that's, that's a name. Yeah. That's a name. That you know. No, what's my man from, uh, from the, the, the Colts, the Baltimore Colts, Johnny, oh, the Baltimore, Johnny, Johnny, United. Johnny United. That's ultimate, oh. right. That's the ultimate. It's like, I remember the Simpsons episode where like Abe and, and young Homer are watching the Super Bowl, and Homer's like, Oh my God, like, uh, 
Joe Namath and the Jets are going to do it. And, and Abe is like, ah, what? Like with that shaggy hair and heavy. Now, Joe, Johnny Unitas, <laughs> there's a haircut you could sit your watch to. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, Unitas, it's not Balkans, but I think it's of Lithuanian descent. So maybe. But no, it is. It is, except for the fact that it, of all the sounds it could have made, it sounds like Unite Us. Yes, yes. I think we've stumbled upon the issue. Um, these guys got to change their names, change you know? Cantor Freedom. There you go. Yeah, Cantor Freedom. Uh, Luca, you're Luke now. Uh, it's Luke. 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 Don, Don, Luke Donkick. You gotta go. You gotta go. Kristen Pulisic with it. Like mispronounce. I just want you know. Let, let's make it sound almost like a porn name, like Luke Donk. Like that's that's his new name. Dong. Luke Dongdick. <laughs> Luke Dongdick. There you go. Yeah. So that's that, that that will penetrate the market right there. That's uh th- th- there you go. We solved it. You know, we we squared the circle. Let's go with our last two callers. Let's call up Christian. Christian making him next caller. Preparing to unmute. Christian, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. What's up, fellas? Hey, hey. I was I was actually laughing because it's funny how uh i'd say 90 percent of the uh, the call so far has been dedicated to like this interesting talk about woes and then as soon as you open up the floodgates the conversation devolves into like sports radio talk so next two questions were naturally oh it's wonderful houston rockets so i'm i'm like fascinated by like the, the the cast of characters in the shadows of the nba specifically so i remember going down like deep internet uh um uh research about like worldwide west a few years ago when he was like the guy right so i just i was just curious to know and i don't know if you guys signed ndas or you guys can't talk about this um like what's the power ranking for like 2021 cast of characters like power players i'd love to know that ranking (laughs) oh man that would be i mean we might have to do a podcast on that because i'd have to really think about it I'd really have to make some phone calls and check in. Yeah. And I mean, what comes to mind immediately when he asked that fantastic question? Well, I mean, he's not quite the, the chokehold that he once had on the industry, but I think Warren still is right. Like mm. one of the top names behind the scenes in terms of pulling strings. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's that. Warren Legarry. We're talking about Warren Legarry, by the way. Yeah, Sorry. Warren Legarry. Warren Legarry, the most powerful NBA name that no fan typically knows about, or ninety nine percent of fans yeah. don't know about. And for those who don't know, uh, represents coaches, general managers, a bunch of NBA ops guys. Created and runs NBA Summer League, uh, and does it all out of. Well, he also absconds to Costa Rica on occasion, but he does a lot of it out of the. Yeah. The, the Costa Rica stuff is my favorite. Like, oh, you, yeah. you need to write about that. Like, oh, like, yeah. You need to write about that. Oh, you're talking about corrupting. I think he once invited me out there, and I was like, I can't. I, can't. I mean, that sounds tempting. I can't do you get, that. Right, no, you do, you do it as like as you're writing this. So I'll write a story about it. And then that, oh, then yeah. the, one, the one hand washes the other. <laughs> See how that goes? There you go. It's for work. It's like when I smoked weed with Don Nelson, but actually pleasant. Um, you, but you, you've got, but you've got to do the thing that like writers from the New Yorker do all the time that irritates the fuck out of me. Like they interview somebody, and then it's like uh, I met him at a swank upscale restaurant, and uh, he had the Niswa salad. I'm like, I don't give a shit what he had. Oh, it put <laughs> well, you there. I don't want to be put there. Just, just give me the information. I don't need these. Well, then you got to do what they call the New Yorker Euro step, where you transition from that to. 
1752, <laughs> you just go deep historical event, then leads you back to the subject. And that's really how it's done. Hell, I'm going to structure my next article that way. That's what I'm going to do. We actually got to about like what someone, what someone had for lunch. <laughs> what someone had for lunch, Euro-stepping to the deep prehistory that will eventually lead me back to the subject. Um, Wait. But back to the question, we name Warren Legay. Who's another another person? I mean, Listen, the Woj is up there, right? I mean, he's got to be up okay. there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it shapes the way people are doing business in, in the industry, right? Like, in terms of who they're leaking information, the fact that they're leaking information at all, which, again, you know, like, once upon a time, that was frowned upon and then and if it is was lynn merritt is lynn merritt still there i mean well i mean hell, i can look as long as the swoosh is there sne- right yeah a big sneaker executive uh rose along with lebron james uh very tight with lebron why did i add his last name like what other lebron would it be um yeah, yeah. lynn lebron james Jr. yeah i just you know i, I worry sometimes i mean i'm not I'm not at enough games. Like maybe somebody's really on the rise, and I don't know about it. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm, sh- I'm sure there is. But I, like, I, I think we can still identify. Like these guys are still kind of in in control here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rich Paul, Rich Paul would be on it as well. Rich Paul would definitely be on that. But then there's almost who's the man behind the man? You know, who's brokering Rich Paul's move from Clutch getting bought by UTA? major Hollywood agency, you know, what's going on behind those scenes. Andy Miller back in the fold. I don't, I don't know where Andy Miller would be um, after getting. Well, I mean, yeah. After ceremoniously being excommunicated, but Andy's doing like the, he's doing the Warren stuff, right. For, for clutch. He's not repping play because he's he's not allowed to rep players. He's on the coach's side, but does anybody think that he just stays within those lanes? I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe possibly, but that's a great question. Maybe it could even become an article. I would definitely paywall that because uh, agencies and various institutions would uh, subscribe. They all want to know. <laughs> they all want to know. Did I make the list? Did I make his power ranking? And, uh, and and one thing, lastly, I, I know you name dropped um, Grant Cardone in one of your previous articles, and he's. I actually worked oh. for Grant for like three years, and I I oh. I know, and and I'm only saying this because there's like sixty people on this call, so I can say this. Um, if you ever need a source for anything, let me know, dude. You can just message me. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, wow. I mean, how do we even make this happen? I mean, what is a way? Where where can I find you? I need some sort of methodology to surreptitiously tell you where to find me, where to reach out because I want to know more about that guy. Yeah. I am fascinated by that guy and what he's got going on. Yeah, man. Ten times your business. I, Ten times your income. I, I, I know where life. a lot of the, the bodies are buried, but um, I'll, I'll message you from my burner Twitter account. Just um, if you could just pay attention to it. I'll look yeah. for it. I'll, I'll, I'll look for it. I'll check the mentions for once. I am fascinated. For those who don't know Grant Cardone. Yeah. Ethan, people, people also ask, was Grant Cardone born rich? <laughs> and also, who is Grant Cardone Network? <laughs> you need to watch some of these YouTube videos. He does incredible salesmanship. Uh, I can't. I can't. Like him, Gary Vee, all these people. Like I don't. I don't get it. I, I honestly don't get it. He's I, got I, a rhythm. He's just oh my god. And you can tell that he. Did, you can tell he really gets in 
gets in good with the athletes and just finds the right way to hook them. I am fascinated. I want him on the podcast. I want Grant Cardone on the podcast. Okay, we'll take a few more calls. It's just too fun. I like the questions we're getting. Uh, Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. Let's make you next caller. Let's make you next caller and see if you unmute. People have been good at the unmuting. They've been good at it. Bob? Hello. Hey. So I have a question related to the swoosh, actually, and kind of the shadowy forces. But I was wondering why Nike hasn't been able, or Jordan Brand, hasn't been able to really, like, catch the lightning in a bottle with any of their like recent signings. Like, I don't think there's anyone who's been as like popular and has done as well with their suit shoes as like Kobe, even up to the point where he was like already deceased. Uh, like Kyrie was kind of successful for a little bit, but like the LeBron shoes have never really caught in the Kevin Durant shoes. Haven't been popular for since like five models ago. So do you guys have any, like, I guess, like, macro or even micro-level views on why they, like, Nike Jordan hasn't been able to kind of catch this popularity and translate it into shoe sales? I just, I'm amazed that Miles Brown has thrown his voice, and he has uh, has imitated a a completely different voice to ask us uh, a great question. Um, Well, that's where I will... Give him credit. That's where I kind of got inspired by like the thought of it. And also was like talking sneakers as well. And uh Windhorse talking about how like Kobe shoes are still the most popular shoe by players, yet you can't even buy them for less than like a grand online on the secondhand market. Mm. Yeah. I think there's an aspect of just too much noise in the culture. I think that's if we're to be forgiving towards Nike, there is that. It's just it's harder to compete like you could back in the 1990s and even a little bit after that, uh, especially if you're competing for young people uh, who are just doing all kinds of stuff. I just think in terms of fashion, it seems like NBA sneakers are less a part of things. I am by no means an expert on any of that, but that's what I hear. So maybe that's a general trend that they're fighting against. But I also think that they got too fat and happy. Uh, The ads they make aren't good with some exceptions. And it's an internal problem. They're not doing a good job marketing these guys. And sometimes the reason is they overthink it. Giannis is a great example. The way they market him is not what people really want to hear about. I mean, it's an incredible story. If you're reading a book about Giannis, as Mirren Fader wrote, you would want to read about his immigrant journey and uh how improbable his rise was and it's serious stuff but it, it really appeals to hyper-educated people who care about those issues and refugee issues and immigration issues in the offices of nike when it comes to selling shoes to kids i mean a a lot of people just don't buy it on its face as an incredible story because they see a guy who's the most athletic guy they've ever seen so they don't think it's miraculous that's number one and then number two they just want they just want somebody who's fun and does cool shit and that's what Giannis is he is a lovable personality he he is somebody where if you gave him the right uh platform you gave him the right ads I think uh, would be a much bigger deal, but instead they've marketed him in this over serious way. And I think they're overthinking the marketing versus just a lot of the fun ads, like little penny in the 1990s. So that's my thing. Yeah. If if they marketed him like more like Shaq instead of like Kobe, the Kobe seriousness, is it, 
am I just in the terms of basketball shoe sales? Is it just kind of like the back to the slot machine thing where I'm just an NBA Twitter fan and I also like shoes, but just in the grand scheme of things, like the basketball shoe sales of these five signed players accounts for such just a fraction of a fraction of the big pie at large that it doesn't really matter for them to take it that seriously. I think that's a new thing. I think that's the decline of sneakers and that it used to be the main thing. And for whatever reason, it's been on the, you know, it's been on the downslope. Yeah. Um, is any, any of it related to accessibility? You think Accessibility. What do you mean by that? Like, man, you know, everyone loves Jordans, right? But like also once upon a time, you could walk into your local footlocker and just buy Jordans. Like yeah. the latest Jordan would be there. You could just buy it. And that was it. Right. And somewhere along the lines, the restriction of the supply and making things into like these kind of collector moments has kind of made it inaccessible, right? It made it. That's a great point. Yeah. The price too. Like, I mean, you're, I'm, for example, I'm 26. So the first pair of Jordans I ever bought was when I was 23 and they're $190. And that was the retail price. Like how much were you buying? How much were your first pair of Jordans? I mean. Well, I mean, I'm a bad example because I, I waited late in life to start buying Jordans and the, the retro Jordans. But yeah, I was like, uh, I remember when they were on sale for like, I mean, you see people post pictures from like East Bay Magazine. It's like one oh nine ninety nine yeah. for like the Jordan 13s or whatever. And, you know, you know, I'm sure inflation plays a part in that as well. But I think more than anything, just the concept that I could get the latest, the, the hottest pair of shoes. You know, I, I, someone posted something about it like the other day. It was like, yo, you used to show up to school the Monday after the Jordans dropped and everybody had them on. And now it's like, oh my God, you got the, like the cool grays are coming out on Saturday. And I've got like 17 alarms because this is one of the shoes that I always wanted, but I could never have because I couldn't afford it. And now that I can afford it, it's like, well, there's only 30 of them or whatever many that are going out there. It's just this ridiculous thing. And I don't know, Jordans is a different it's a different industry from like the Kyrie's or whatever the the current basketball player's shoes, but the the point is there was an availability there uh, that existed that I don't know if it exists now, and also a mythology has been built about some of these that I don't like. How do you build a mythology? Yeah, yeah, it goes back to the noise. It goes back to how you have these moments in the culture where you can create that space. And every now and again, there's just an incredible story that does it. I mean, you can't force it. Uh, There was an opportunity when the Warriors and Steph Curry rose out of nowhere and took the sports world by storm. And then you try to take advantage of it. Under Armour didn't. But those are the moments that create those legacies. And you can't just conjure it. You think they could have, you think if Durant never goes to Golden State, like we're talking about the Currys as that shoe? I think that, it was a combination of factors. I think losing in 2016 was part of it with the chef Curry's getting mocked. And I think just internally, I don't think Under Armour was ready as a company. Um, it was maybe a little too big for them and outside of what they do. And they weren't ready to really capitalize in that way. But the opportunity was there. It opened up. It was a legitimate threat. And in the end, Nike's still on top, but it's like Nike hasn't actually so much uh, expanded what it is, even though the stock price is zoomed because, I mean, all nearly all corporations' stock price is zoomed. I'm going to take 
One more question. Apologies to those waiting in the queue. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much, Bob. Uh, and a, a big thanks for everybody who uh, has been on tonight. Uh, Notorious. Notorious. Hey, how's it going, guys? So, hey. so many great topics you guys oh, covered uh, tonight. So I'm, I've just been like thinking, which one am I going to keep stick with? But uh, the one thing I thought was interesting is when you were talking about Chase Center being like a cash cow. And that is how many, you know, makes me think about how many teams actually own their arenas, which are actually really just larger real estate schemes. And how much mm. of a conflict is there between those that have those those larger revenue streams and those that don't? Because, you know, if you go back to your question about uh, shrinking the league or shrinking the uh, the, uh, the schedule, you know, if, if I'm Chase yeah. Center, I'm not going to worry about it too much because 10 extra games gone means 20 extra days and I can throw in a few concerts or monster truck pulls and chase. Uh, it's a very smart thought, especially because the NBA's revenue sharing is now quite aggressive and much to the chagrin of the Warriors. So I don't know how it all shakes out. I don't know right now with Omicron and everything else that they would prefer to have open dates for concerts versus for the NBA games. But I know that the Warriors are mad as hell about the revenue sharing. And to be clear, I think without the revenue sharing, the league would be in significant trouble right now because just watch a game flipping around league pass. You see these empty arenas in Memphis, in San Antonio, uh, and they don't have big local TV contracts. And the national TV contract only goes so far. And so you would see, I think, financial trouble if the money wasn't spread around as much as it is. But the NBA right now, it's kind of socialist. And I think if you're the Warriors, there's a sense of everybody's dining out on what we do. Uh, we're the top draw. Uh, it's, it's us and then everybody else. And there's a gap right now. Why are we sharing all this money? And the answer is, you know, because that's what happened and there's nothing you can do about it probably. Yeah. I, I always think it's fun to do a, a little game where I'll go on like a Ticketmaster or uh, game time and look at the price of resale tickets for a team before the Warriors come in, when the Warriors come in and after, and the price change yeah. is just insane. Yeah. And so that's how the Warriors feel about it. It's just you're already making money off us. We're already splitting the NBA TV deal 30 ways when we're the big driver. We're the main driver. Um, most of our revenue, I think, for them comes from gate. At least that's the setup. Hey, no one's going to feel sorry for them. Uh, that's the situation. But it's ultimately, I think, good for the league that the revenue sharing is quite aggressive. Maybe it should be a little less aggressive just to make it, I don't know, fair to the teams that are really bringing home the bacon. But I do think without it, uh, it would it would be troublesome. Amin, do you have uh, anything to add on that one or is that about covering? Yeah, I, I was looking. Yeah, you covered it pretty well. I was looking at like a list of the teams and trying to figure out which ones. Because like, for instance, Bulls, I believe it's, the city owns it, but they operate it. Warriors, they own it. Knicks, they own it. Grizzlies, I believe they're a tenant. Celtics, they're absolutely a tenant. Timberwolves, I believe, again, a city thing. Suns is a city thing. 
Lakers are uh, a tenant, but also a part owner in the arena. Pistons, uh, they are tenant. Hornets, I believe they're a tenant. Nets own their arena. Mavs own their arena. Jazz own their arena. Heat, they're a tenant. Uh, it's a city, city kind of thing. Pelicans, it's a city thing. Cavs, they own their arena. Magic own their arena. Nuggets, I'm not sure. Blazers own their arena. Clippers, we know that they're the most, the worst tenant uh, situation. Thunder uh, <laughs> are a city co- collaborative. Hawks own their arena. Rockets own their arena. Bucks own their arena. Raptors own their arena. Wizards own their arena. Spurs own their arena. Might be a city thing. Pacers own their arena. Kings own their arena. Sixers. Uh, I have to check on that one. I don't know if the the Flyers own that arena or not, but I suspect they do. So, yeah. Kings own their arena in between financial advisors pumping money out of it surreptitiously, which is always yeah. just, <laughs> that's another story. Hilarious to me. Well, th- thanks so much, Notorious. Uh, you got it's uh, it, hey, this is a success in my opinion. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed myself. It, it brought me back a little bit to the live stream days. Uh, so even though I'm freezing my ass off in my garage, are you outside? Oh, you're in the car. I'm in the garage. It's the most convenient, most convenient place. It's the furthest away from, well, nobody cares. It doesn't matter who gives a shit, what they give a shit about the stuff we were discussing earlier. And so I'm going to be doing call-in shows. Hopefully we'll get Amin on as a guest every now and again. Uh, because he is the most favorite guest. Let me tell you something. I look at the numbers. I don't do things because of the numbers. But when I do podcasts with Amin, hate that I'm just pumping them up this way. I've had some big time guests. I have, like in, in sports media. And the Amin episodes do best. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I'm the big, big name. I'm I'm big time, yes. I did I'm sound a little braggy right there, didn't I? Just a, yeah. a big That's name. A big Colin time. Coward. Have you had Colin right Coward? Right. Radio Ethan, you got to do the Radio Ethan. I got the best, biggest guest. <laughs> oh man! But the ones with you, man. You know what? I read a crazy. I I don't even know where I saw it. It was some fan somewhere. Somebody said that they hate both of us, but love when we're on a show together, and that nice. tripped me out. It's just what is that? That's awesome. <laughs> we, I, 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 uh, I'm 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 tickled pink by like Ethan has had like quite the the you're almost like the LeBron of this in terms of like public opinion. People hated Ethan, and then when he got let go from ESPN, like people loved him. It was like, oh my god, love Ethan. And then like the Durant stuff happened, and like people hated him. And then he left again and did his own thing, and people loved him. And then he started writing stuff about like what Jordan, what's his name. <laughs> Jordan who? Jordan, what's it called? The, the Canadian right wing conservative. Oh, and I never wrote about Jordan Peterson, uh, but that would be funny if I did. Oh, no, but yeah, I did like a podcast. The the Canadian yeah. self-help guru who got addicted to Klonopin, uh and some say is right wing and then others say no. I don't know how we're talking about Jordan Peterson. No, I have not written about Jordan Peterson. But I'm just saying, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, you, you, you've been writing this kind of yo-yo of a, of, a, of a career where people hate you and then they love you and hate you again. I wonder what that must feel yeah. like because I just, I've just had people hate me. And that's <laughs> Consistent. I mean, I'm only so aware of it. Uh, that's number one. And I'm at the point now where 
I honestly just try to do what's interesting to me and it tends to work out. If you work hard, kids, if you work hard, follow your dreams, things tend to work out. And I don't know, man, you just you can't invest too much of your self-esteem. In any of it. So what? White privilege at work. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Why give it up? Why would I do it? Why would I give up such a, such a, such a thing? Well, ladies, it's a privilege. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been fun. A big thanks to Amin. A big thanks to the folks at Call In, and we will see you next time. Good night, everybody.